Good morning. It is Monday, February 13th, 2023, and this is DC Signal to Noise. Since we last talked, the Fed raised interest rates by one quarter of 1%. The president delivered his 2023 State of the Union address. USDA delivered the February supply and demand report. The U.S. shot down a... Wait a second. How many? Two. Oh, two. Well, wait. Four. Latest count is four UFOs. Uh, congratulations to the Kansas City Chiefs. They are your 2023 Super Bowl champion. And I know that that probably does not make pro former policy analyst Jim Wiesmeyer all that happy. Well, they should thank the ref, too. I think. Oh, come call. on. Philadelphia should be thanking the ref for making it through the championship game. That was not a catch in the championship game. If you're going to hold them accountable in, in the final game, hold them accountable in the last game, too. I only okay. go last game. You're only as good as your last game. That's right. You're exactly right. For the ref. No way that Brown would have been that far off his route if he had. I didn't known. like either team. So I didn't care. <laughs> How you doing, buddy? Pretty good. I'm back good. home all week without traveling. Last week yep. I had two great events, Baton Rouge, Louisiana, to the Sugarcane League. A lot of friends there. Uh, good attendance. Uh, I learned again, while I can drink with a Cajun, I can't keep drinking with a Cajun. Right. Okay. <laughs> and then to the curb uh, meeting, that's all, also always well attended. Uh, other good speakers had a good time, but I'm finally back home. So for one yeah. week and yeah. uh, next Monday, Tuesday, I'll be in the Ozarks to the Missouri pork producers. Can't okay. wait to see my good friends there. Very good. Very good. It's been a busy uh, meeting season for you, hasn't it? Very. But the, the most speeches I've ever done in January and early February. So wow. time for a respite. Well, you know, I, I think it was uh, a little bit of, of everybody was happy to get back and get into the face-to-face -face meetings. A lot of it happened a year ago. I know. Yeah. Uh, but, boy, the crowds really came back to the meetings this year. There's no question Oh, definitely. And even the week before, Chip, I went down to North Carolina, the yeah. uh, Blacklands, and uh, a farmer uh, by the name of Jimmy Latham just toured me around yeah. Uh, bath uh, ju was just a fantastic time. Uh, the Southerners yeah. are the best, I'll tell you, as far as making you feel comfortable. What are you, what are you saying about Iowa nice? <laughs> Come on now. <laughs> oh, they're nice too, but I'm telling you, uh, the Southerners have that extra panache, yeah. okay? Yeah. <laughs> okay, so what have you learned? Uh, I, I know that all the messages that I continue to get back from you, uh, there's a lot of conversation about crop insurance. Oh yeah, that that is the program, uh, you know, farm program chip for for the major commodities. And let's be honest, and they want to know uh, will that be uh, negatively impacted in any way? Uh, and I say it's got bipartisan support. I don't see it, but attempts will be made. And some farmers, I think, interestingly, are telling me they wish that Congress, farm state lawmakers would look at really uh, modifying, updating the crop insurance program and de-emphasizing Title I uh, because yeah. it's just out of sync. It's just uh, totally yeah. needs 
to be reformed because it's it's almost laughable some of the reference price levels in it. Jim, you know, one of the things this is how many farm bills for you that you're covering? We've had 19 in the history of our great country. This will be my 11th one. Yeah. And I think this is my eighth. Okay. Uh, one thing that you taught me early, early on was the farm bill is a snapshot of current economic conditions. And they try to write a farm bill that will provide that will provide some protection for farmers based on those current economic conditions. I don't think they had $6 corn, new crop corn factored into writing a farm bill and, and using current farm economic conditions to, to write that safety net. In 2018? This year. Oh, this, this year? year? They didn't have it in 2018. No, but they should. And yeah, the, the, the title one needs to be flexible. And to do that, you're going to either have to switch for some funding from one program to the other yep. and don't want to do that politically. Or two, they have to get more funding from the budget committee or the appropriators, one of the two. And, uh, you know, look at the odds for that. Uh, so that's why uh, I think some farmers, I think, are spot on. But, you know, inertia in this town usually rules. Yeah. Uh, but they want to boost uh, crop insurance because that's more malleable, Chip, as you yeah. well know. That's more flexible to to be changed each each year. Right. Uh, and I'll tell you, wherever crop insurance, and I attend a lot of crop insurance meetings that yeah. private companies give, it's it's meshed so uh, closely now with marketing right now that, oh, that yeah. how, what, what a risk management tool and that's where that's where revenue assurance started anyway i just think that we've got a dinosaur called title one and of course a farm state lawmaker will say that the 2018 farm bill largely succeeded i don't think it did because we had multiple years of ad hoc disaster uh, programs yeah. and you won't get that return in in a year now, Chip, in which uh, we've got a $31.4 trillion debt. Uh, look at the facts. A CBO came out last week and said the first quarter, October uh, through January, mm -hmm. we spent $198 billion just servicing the debt, an increase of 41% uh, from the previous your know, fiscal year. Uh, that means it, you could be spending $600 billion just to service the debt. Yeah. And with interest rates rising, they're going to be, they're going to be hiked another, what, 25 to 50 basis points over the next two meetings in yeah. March and May. So, I mean, we've got to come to grips uh, with uh, farmer, you know, the buzzword now in, in the speeches by others are saying, what's the expectations for the farm bill? Well, when you talk to farmers, the expectations is don't foul up the crop insurance. Right, program. right. Yeah, that's that's what we continue to hear. And Jim, the relative ineffectiveness of Title One is the reason that that if we go all the way back to the middle of last year, I've been asking the question: Is it going to be an evolutionary or a revolutionary bill? Because if it's not a revolutionary bill, Title One or the safety net program is going to remain ineffective. Anemic. Anemic. Yeah. 
A need. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and and I think it would be revolutionary if you boosted uh, the crop yeah. insurance program to make it even more powerful. But you've right. got you've got parameters out there, Chip. That people, I uh, mean, look at the farm groups that investments in Title One, the lawmakers. The, yeah. So I, I, but I'm telling you, I think after watching. 11 now out of the 19, I think uh, the most uh, smartest farmers I know who are whispering in my ear about that, I think that they're spot on. But this town yeah. doesn't like change when it comes right. to farm policy. Right, right. Absolutely. Absolutely. What about on the conservation front? What are you hearing from farmers as as you make your travels around the, the country? Is there a, a participation in USDA's climate smart farming practices and efforts they're, there they're very leery chip but yeah. i tell them what price pride when 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 uh congress authorized and put in 20 billion additional funding for conservation programs that's in law now even before the farm bill was written so conservation should not be a big debate i think in this coming uh uh, uh conversation on a, on on a new farm bill you know i had an iowa farmer come up to me at the curb meeting and say you know our filter strips we used to it used to be a viable program that we were paid to keep uh, yeah. filter strips in now the payment is so out of sync with yeah. the marketplace that why don't they increase that amount to keep to keep it there and i think right. that's i think that's a logical question rather than the five dollars or whatever they're paying yeah right gotcha. now it's just gotcha. out of sync out of sync okay um let's change gears here just a little bit uh, state of the union address what did you make of it uh, the president uh, on rhetoric talked bipartisanship, but it was anything but. I think he missed on the farm bill, he missed a good opportunity to list the farm bill as one of those measures that could find right. bipartisanship. I think he snookered the Republicans into uh, uh, into uh, yelling out uh, when yeah. he uh, said... Uh, um, uh, at least a venial sin that they yeah. wanted to uh, cut Medicare and social right. security. And that's where you got the cat calls and that's what they wanted to project. And, yeah. and he said, let's finish the job more than a few times, which tells Eight. most people he's running for reelection. Yeah. You know, it, it, there's, it, and I agree. I agree. It, it does look like he is uh, planning the run for reelection. But based on that latest poll, um, I think it was a Washington Post poll, there, there's not many Democrats that support what he has already done that want him to run again. No, the, the, the goodly majority want another candidate, but that's yeah. not going to stop him, Chip. Uh, and, and, you know, if, if you could, analyzing his speech, uh, he talked very little about foreign policy very yeah. few uh, hardly a word on israel so that tells me he his his party is really uh um not anti-israel but they're not uh, pro as pro-israel they're certainly split yeah. yes they're split and so he wanted to adhere to that dilemma uh but if you added up all the programs that he more than referenced 
that he needed more spending for. They didn't yeah. put a dollar amount. He, he's just a spend happy president. So yeah. it was a forceful speech. I'm not going to deny that. He delivered yep. it pretty good. And, yep. and, and it was a strategy to, to really box Republicans into a corner. Like, I'll yeah. show you my budget in March. You show me yours, you know, right. things like that. Well, okay, that'll last for about a month, but then reality is going to set in again. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. Just a reminder to everyone, if you would like to participate in the conversation or if you have a question for Jim, then go to the comments tab on your screen, type it in there, and we'll try to address it before we wrap up. Um, let's talk about the balloons or whatever you want to call them, Jim. Uh, it, it was a week ago Saturday that they shot down the first one. Uh then over the weekend, three more, you know, objects, whatever you want to call them, were shot down. Uh, one over Canada, one over Lake Huron. And where was the fourth one? I, I don't uh, remember right now. <laughs> In Canada. In yeah. Canada. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I can't even remember, so. but there's been four. And now China's saying that they spotted an object. Right. Too. Now, right. whether one can believe. Well, that here we go. Okay. Well, I don't have trouble believing that because because of the hesitancy to shoot down the first balloon. Yeah. The, the reason that they were so hesitant to use the to shoot down the first balloon is because we probably got them over China. Yeah. So what well, do you make of it? Their official explanation of the first balloon that we shot, waited too long to shoot down, is now a, a, a bald uh, lie. And now they're more than embarrassed. So uh, they're, uh, they're uh, you know, worried about the world uh, you know, outlook for them, Chip. I'll tell you the truth. We need somebody, hopefully President Biden, to address the nation on what's yeah. going on. Yeah. Right now, it looks like that they've left it up to majority leader in the Senate, Chuck Schumer. And that's no person. He's no. politics 24-7. And so uh, we don't know the countries of these final three uh, objects, if you will. I, I think they are ruling out uh, unidentified, you know, that there's a country yeah. attached to each of these. The other part is just silly stuff on the right. alien stuff. Uh, we need some answers, you know, yeah, and we're, we're not getting them. And now they love to point out, Schumer loves to point out, well, you know, in the Trump administration, there were three and they didn't even know it. Well, that's politics again, you know, yeah. but a, a question should be asked why they didn't identify them. And then what are you doing for uh, a self-correction on this one? And, and they're just, uh, and they're correcting it now. That's probably why we're identifying more, objects right now because they've uh, they've set their radar lower yeah, right and exactly. in the southern part of the world too yep yeah that's right gary made this point he said gary rasmussen uh he says the flight path of the fighter jet that shot down ufo in lake huron covered two military ship building yards on both sides of the bay of green bay one in marionette minnesota and one in sturgeon bay er, marionette wisconsin the other in Surgeon Bay, Wisconsin. I mean, it's pretty obvious they're <laughs> they're looking for information. And I, to me, I don't have the proof yet, but uh, some of the people I respect are more than whispering to me. This is a joint uh, Russia-China testing 
of the U.S. And, uh, you yeah. know, we're, we're not, uh, I mean, look, Chip, this goes all the way back to the origins of COVID. We really didn't slap China for opening their, their borders to send people out of China during the early days of COVID, you know, COVID and locked people from coming in. They, they never got sanctioned for that. Uh, so they've been testing us ever since. And uh, this is why you're seeing it from our uh, pell-mell uh, rush out of Afghanistan last yeah. June, et cetera. And, and, and I'm, I'm being fair-minded here. This is, uh, uh, you know, this calls for a presidential comment on what in the heck is going on. Yeah, it certainly does. It, does it call for more sanctions on China? Yes, Yes. And President Biden said last week that this should not significantly negatively impact U.S.-China relations. Well, our Secretary of State, Antony Blinken, canceled a trip to China that was designed in part to to uh, at least do get a base in, in our relationships. It's already affected the relationship. Uh, uh, yeah. So they're trying to gloss over this thing. Yeah, absolutely. So if anybody is wondering why we're talking about this, China's kind of an important trade partner with us. There's your agricultural connection to it. Okay? Yes. Just pointing out. Uh, we've got a note here. Please educate us on a uh, uh, farm report. It's what we're here for. Well, these U.S.-Chinese relations are key because if this were to significantly blow up, then, then uh, more than a few farmers would want reparation payments uh, again, Darn like soybean right. growers, etc. So no, 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 no. This is just not a uh, a production oriented show. We have to look at all uh, 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 all the links in, yep. involved in in uh, in policy. Yeah, appreciate the feedback though. Yes, absolutely. Um, Farm bill progress. Uh, Russell Richardson asked on. Uh, I I think that they're grinding. Uh, their heels on this one. We had a Senate Ag Committee hearing last week. Oh, it was good. Nothing new came out of it. It's the same topic. So they're gonna they're gonna go the House on the listing tour, and then a hearing coming up next month. Chip, they're gonna begin their hearings in the House. The Senate has already begun the hearings. The Senate, uh, most people think, will have a bill uh, yet this year because of the experience of Senate uh, Chairwoman Debbie Stabenow. Uh, so I, I, I just hope they get these listening sessions out of the way because they're going to write the farm bill they want anyway, right. to be honest. Right. And we know what the topics are. So get yep. to work, get to yeah. work and write it. Okay. So we had a conversation last week with, uh, house committee chairman, uh, Glenn Thompson. And I made the, the mention to him that, it sounds like the Senate has made some significant progress in writing its version of the bill. And he very flatly said, listen, the house is going to write the bill this time. Uh, I like the chairman, but both chambers write a bill and they're going to need a bipartisan effort because you will not have a final farm bill. If the Senate uh, Republic, uh, you know, Democrats in this case don't go along and the, the, two biggest issues are uh, the food and nutrition funding, where the Democrats will keep insisting on uh, more funding and no onerous working requirement. Uh, and on the, uh, uh, on the Republican side, they want to improve uh, Title I 
and do not negatively impact the crop insurance program. Now, there are many other issues on that, but um, uh, let's get it going. Oh, I don't hear you, Chip. Hey, what I'm saying is they're going to get some of the information that they need this week in the 10-year baseline numbers. Yes, the Congressional Budget Office on Wednesday releases it, and the wonks will go all over the report seeing what's in that baseline to be spent uh, on the farm bill. And I think their last estimate, CBO, was a 10-year baseline of over $1 trillion. Now, that sounds like a lot of money, and it is. So we'll have to see how they do it by uh, you know, uh, you know, by section chip, uh, the, the commodity programs, conservation, food and nutrition, et cetera. A little over 80 percent is on food and nutrition. So we're fighting over that last 15 percent as far as what you know, what comes out, unless the uh, uh, chair leaders of the House and Senate Ag Committee get additional funding uh, uh, from the budget, uh, budget committees. And although that's unlikely, you still can't rule it out until they make that, uh, that declaration. But the baseline is important because that sets your parameters as far as how much they can spend. Yeah, yeah. And it's, let's talk about how much we can spend because we've, got a, we've still got the debt ceiling to deal with, don't we, Jim? Yes, it looks like uh, either mid to late uh, June, no later than July, we're going to have to get this thing settled. Uh, Republican leaders are saying no, they want to have some cuts relative to signing off on either a debt limit increase or a, a debt uh, limit suspension, you know, ceiling suspension. Uh, they have said again, uh, no cuts to Medicare and Social Security. Uh, but everything else is on the table. Now, that's a clear signal that in the future, once they have to deal with the debt, Chip, uh, farm programs will be included in how much. Yeah. Uh, lawmakers usually take the easy way out on deficit reduction. It's usually across the board cuts of a certain percentage. Right. I fully right. expect that. I just don't know when. Well, if that happens, Jim, what does it mean for the farm bill spending? Because it, it the last time we went through this, it was a 10% across the board or whatever the percentage about, was. Yeah, uh, was. About six and 10%. a half or whatever. Yeah. yeah. On any payment. Now, recall that CRP contracts are contracts and they're not, you, 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 they're not impacted, but, but it will hurt. Yeah. <laughs> it will hurt. Yep. Yeah. No question. No question. Uh, here's, here's one coming in late. Any thoughts on fertilizer impact for spring planting? We talked about it quite a bit on Friday afternoon on AgriTalk. Uh, but the bottom line is we've got nitrogen prices that are coming down. It seems that, uh, NH3 anhydrous ammonia is leading the way to the downside. I wouldn't anticipate a lot of additional pressure on anhydrous prices at this time, urea prices have pretty much locked up with anhydrous. And then you've got the, uh, the UAN 28% in particular, that seems to be way out of whack on its pricing and is, is, uh, is priced too high. Phosphates are okay. Uh, uh, the trend is still down, but most of that work has already been done. So a lot of the focus is on, on anhydrous, uh, 
I don't think that it's going to have a major impact on on uh, the decision what the acreage mix is going to be. For the most part, that decision has been made. There is some potential for swapping in the northwest production areas. You know, looking at North Dakota, South Dakota, there, there's some potential for swapping in those areas. But I don't think that there's going to be a major swing towards soybeans or to corn uh, from from what we had a year ago. And that's, remember, we had a big swing towards soybeans in North Dakota a year ago. I think that's probably going to stick around. But, Jim, the National Cotton, Cotton Council. Yeah, yeah, go ahead and talk about Cotton that. Cotton Acres down 17% in their survey. And their survey over the years has clearly gotten the direction, and they've been fairly accurate. And they said cotton producers intend to plant 11.4 million acres. Again, down 17%. That's largely due to the uh, price ratios between alternative yeah. crops. We're talking corn and soybeans, Jeff. Yeah, yeah. Um, 11.4 million acres is too much. It's going to be south of 10 million acres. Wow. There's, there's just no incentive to plant cotton. It, uh, unless you want to lose money. The only reason that you'd plant cotton is because you got all the equipment to do it. So you're going to keep some acres. You're going to keep some acres if you are geared up for it. But nobody's going to get in the business. Um, it, it's just that there's way, way better potential out of, uh, out of crops like sorghum, uh, corn, soybeans. There's much better opportunities there. So I would anticipate that 11.4 million acres is the top side of, of possibilities, and it can be under 10. But that means eventually with that reduction in acres, Jim, yeah. that you could have a pretty volatile cotton market. Oh, you will. Yeah. You absolutely will. Uh, the flexibility of the southern grower has created the volatility in the cotton market. It's not going to go away for it's not going away next year, the year after that, or the year after that. No. Uh, it, it is here to stay for cotton, guys. It, it's you know, pretty impressive. Before I forget, a lot of farmers ask me, has USDA made a decision on the remainder 25% of the ERP uh, payment? Remember, it was yep. limited to 75%. They have not said anything, frankly. I think they're waiting to see how the ERP phase two, which is the worst implementation uh, of any program I've seen, in a number of years, uh, you'll go. So no yep. decision on that and no decision on the 2022, you know, you know disaster programs. We're right. just waiting. Maybe Secretary Vilsack, because uh, he likes to announce certain things when he goes out and speaks. And he'll be speaking a couple times this week in North Carolina and to yep. uh, you know, a couple of other groups. So we could get something this week, but uh, I wouldn't count on it. All right. Let's go uh, rapid fire here to wrap things up. We mentioned earlier that the 10-year baseline numbers are coming, but we've got some economic numbers that are coming this week that are going to be very important in the Fed's decision-making process. Consumer price index, that could actually see a little uptick, Chip, based on uh, industry analysts. Now, they're not always right. And so that'll be a determination, at least the initial signal of the you know, Federal Open Market Committee meeting, both in March and, and May. But the, the Federal Reserve officials, including Chairman Jerome J. Powell, has consistently stated that they have uh, more than one increase in, in rates coming out. 
And uh, it's going to be a while, undeterminate time, uh, at the terminal rate, whatever that is, before they even think about uh, pivoting and going lower. The Fed's uh, current numbers show 2024. Uh, the financial traders are beginning to actually believe the Fed now. So that's yeah. put pressure on financial markets. Yes, certainly has. Okay. Tomorrow is the deadline for Mexico to respond on the GMO issues. Yeah, and that's where the U.S. has done a very good job calling uh, Mexico to task, both at the White House level uh, uh, and USDA, U.S. Uh, Trade Representative's Office, the corn growers, and other groups. So the message has been loud and clear. Uh, and if they don't, uh, if we don't like their message, then USTR will begin the process of clamping down on them relative to a USMCA. But as Vilsack told Mexico, where else are you going to buy the corn that you need? Yeah. They typically buy 10 million tons of U.S. corn. A portion of that is food-grade corn. But we can't let this go, Chip, because that would be no. a, a precedent for other countries to do the same. Yeah. Uh, that it's not based on any science Chip, whatsoever. There are some in the market that say, who are we to tell Mexico what they can and can't buy? It's called USMCA, that their yeah. commitments there, that it must be based on science. And that's why it's a it's a North American market. See, uh, and it's and tied here's, into here's domestic politics in, in, in Mexico, Chip, because Obrador, their president, comes from the southernmost part of the country. That's where the majority of tortillas are made. Yep. So it's a sop to the tortilla uh, manufacturers. Exactly. And the, here's the other thing. This would be a federal, uh, a federal policy that would be pushed through the private importers in Mexico. It's not like there's some state grain agency in Mexico yes. that's doing all the buying. Okay, these are private companies that are bringing in U.S. product and converting it into whatever they need it. The, the government there would be telling them what they can and can't buy. Every every importer of feed and white corn wants u.s corn yes I, there's no doubt about that it's so, this precedent so to yep. you that are saying that it would be like president biden saying yeah eh, you know what no we're not going to export corn into europe or whatever yeah. nip it in the bud right away it's exactly. very similar to this coming supreme court ruling no later than june on the proposition 12 well, relative to California, wanted to dictate the yep. marketing practices and the growing practices of hogs. Yep. Uh, that's how critical it is, because if uh, California were to win that, then that, that's your template for the other uh, anti-production uh, you know, yep. agriculture groups to come at agriculture. Exactly. I got one last one that I want to throw in here from Tanner. He says, last week, Chip had NCBA on pushing policy for traceability and protections from for private tag companies i brought up if the ncba would push for cost sharing if we mandated traceability he says they kind of glazed it over which might be right but as a psa for fellow producers usda already has free rfid tags available upon request so thank you tanner for that appreciate that jim i think we're going to go ahead and wrap things up here buddy i'll give you I'll give you 15 seconds uh, on, on last items. 
well, first, we, we need an announcement on what's going on on these objects, too. Yep. Uh, the Farm Bill continues in the uh, hearing and listening uh, phase. Uh, uh, Senate's expected to complete their bill, yet this year House isn't. And the third one is watch those inflation or disinflation yeah. reports later this week. Excellent. All right. Today on AgriTalk, we've got Machinery Pete and Senator Chuck Grassley from Iowa will be joining me this afternoon. Darren Fry from Water Street Solutions. Have a great week, everybody. Keep watching for those signals. Mm-hmm.